appreciate it. So, all right. So, um, I want to tell you about a proverb that it's not new to you. It's not new to me. Um, it's a popular proverb, and probably many, maybe most, have memorized it. Uh, probably because um, you have encountered a situation along the way, by now many of them, where you had to deal with plan B. And it's, it's Proverbs 16.9, and it, it says to all of us who've been in that moment where we were going like this path and then plan B. The mind of man plans his way. That's why you were on that path whatever it was, but the Lord directs his steps. And that uh, single little word, that transition word, but, it's a big but. <laughs> um, I've used that joke before, but it was really funny then too. Um, um, it is a big but because it turns everything on a dime. And you know it. You know it from experience because you were going this way, but the Lord directed your steps a different way. Uh, so if you've been there and um, endured that, you know the difficulty that you felt, um, not from knowing that proverb, but from practicing that proverb. How many have memorized that first, Proverbs 16.9? Do it. Do it. This, do it before the service. Is, no, then you wouldn't hear a thing I'm saying, so. The mind of man, the mind of woman plans their ways, but the Lord directs their steps. That's a great verse, but it's really a stretch to practice it. Okay, that's what this message is about today. My title is Shift, kind of using language from uh, a, a car, if you will. You're motoring along and you need to shift gears and turn corners. Uh, when he, here's why. Here's why it's a challenge to practice it. When humans make plans, and we all do, how many have plans later today of some kind? Okay? Some of you are going to wing it, but most of you go, no, I got a plan. I know where we're going to go and whatever it is. So, um, and, and for the most part, as people, we like to carry them out. We don't just do this as a waste of time this thing called planning our ways, but we want to we walk them through and carry them out. That's kind of a big deal to us. So for most of us, if someone or something gets in the way of us doing what we plan to do, um, it's a problem for us. And in some cases, brings no small amount of frustration. Am I right? I mean, I know what it's like. I live in the same world that you live in. And at times, it gets, it morphs. Frustration grows into anger. And we're kind of we're like, are you kidding me? And we start to think of some, some way around it that's taking you a different direction. Or even through it if we have to. Now, um, since I talked about our daughter and that flight, think of your last flight that was either delayed or canceled. Okay, just how many uh, has that happened in the last year or two? Okay, a lot of you are still stuck at the airport and you're still bitter. I know, I know. So, okay, so here's the deal. Your flight was delayed 
or maybe canceled altogether. And my follow-up question is, how many of you just rolled with it and, and said, hey, no problem. Wow, what a gift. We just got some unexpected free time. I know what I'm going to do with that. I'm going to go home, and I'm going to chill out, and I'm just going to, wow, how nice of them. Anybody act that way? We have medical people that can help you with that, right? I mean, that's, that's out there. I've been on a flight in Portland bound for Amsterdam with 40 of you. We were heading to Israel for a lifetime dream trip, and our, our bird never got off the ground. Like, how many hours at the gate? Like, 28 hours, just kidding, about four, three hours, whatever, and then they go, huh, it's canceled. So we had to flex and flow and go a different direction. We got there, and we had the greatest time in the world, but, um, and, and if you did, I didn't hear any yes, yeah, I've done that, I, it's been canceled, I go home and go, man, hey, you know, the Lord brought me a special unexpected gift. If you did, then you're more like Jesus than me, just going to say it. In that moment, I'm like, ah, what do I, ah. Because usually we make plans that we hope will happen. So we've got a little of us invested in it, don't we? we, we you know what I'm talking about. So just enough of this analysis. But most of us go to the customer service people on scene and say, hold up a sec. And we start to make a case for the reparations they need to pay us for the way this canceled or delayed flight has wrecked our lives, okay? And, and, and I've watched it. I've watched it happen. Some of them are not going to give it up until the, the, the words from the gate agent says, okay, free flights for life, <laughs> right? Because we know we've wrecked your life. Now, anything to get this guy out of here, right? So it's a moment. Now, Today's journey with Paul, and I set it up that way for a reason. He is a type A. This is Alpha. He's a type A apostle. And you'll see why. Acts 20, actually you've seen why for a long time. Turn to Acts 20 and you'll pick up right there. Uh, there was a surprise twist that came his way that was neither a surprise nor a twist nor plan B. Say it with me. If you see it the way God saw it. There we go. Okay. Um, so the crowd had dispersed last week. They were... Um, very near a riot in Ephesus. And from that, um, they, they, Paul says, okay, I'm going to leave now. The place didn't blow up and I didn't die. So I'm going to leave and I'm going to head uh, back up into Macedonia, which is the northern part of the Aegean Sea. It's a beautiful map search. Just go there and you'll see it. It's Greece in the north and then it goes down to Achaia and the places like Corinth and, and uh, Athens in the south, okay? But Paul says, okay, I'm going to go, and I'm going um, to visit these churches. I will make my rounds quickly, and 
um, and, and say hi to them and encourage them and all that kind of thing. And then I'm going to be ready to get home because Passover's coming was on his mind. So his plan was to make his way all the way around the horn and um, spend some time visiting those people along the way, cities like we've visited before in his other missions trips, uh, Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, Berea, all those cool places, which we may go to someday. Wouldn't that be cool? But anyway, he's making his way quickly, and he ends up down in south Greece at uh, Achaia, it shows on your map, but it's Corinth. We know it from two biblical books in the canon called Corinthians, or First and Second Corinthians. Okay, so Paul is down there in Corinth, and he stays there ministering, we're told, for three months before boarding a vessel. And he's going to go, if you were in Corinth, you see it on a map, you just turn basically east and sail for a long time. And you end up in Caesarea, you go to Jerusalem, which was his plan for the celebration of Passover, and then you go back home, which is up north from Jerusalem in a place called Antioch, okay? That's his plan. Then a totally unexpected development that's almost easily missed in reading this happens. And Paul has to pivot quickly. Verse 1 of chapter 20, when the uproar, we've covered that already in Ephesus, ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said goodbye and sent out for Macedonia. We've covered that. He traveled throughout that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people that he had reached in earlier trips, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months period. What's the next word? It introduces a, huh? Because some Jews had plotted against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, and remember, his plan was to get home. He has a watch, not really, but he knows the date, and he knows when Passover is, and he wants to get to Jerusalem for Passover. So just about the time he gets on board this vessel to sail for Syria, he decides to go back through Macedonia because of a plot against him. Read a murderous plan to do away with him. This is not somebody that wants to menace with him. It's somebody that wants to eliminate him. It's way bigger than that. And it's in the way. How many of you have ever um, been away from home around the holidays and wanted like crazy to get home, but something came up and you couldn't? Okay. Was that an okay thing, an easy thing? Or, or was it uh, kind of uh, hard for you to manage? Let me go a step further. If the reason you couldn't get home had to do with some kind of uh, sinister plot against you? Probably that doesn't apply. But if it did, it's likely you're, you're starting to look in the mirror with Paul at the next level of frustration it, it would represent. That's exactly this. 
All I'm doing is get on a boat. And the plan was these guys would be on that boat and he would be fish food somewhere over the Mediterranean on his way to Caesarea. Somehow he learns of it, and we're not told exactly the details, but let's give the credit where it belongs to the Holy Spirit. And says, don't go there, Paul. We're going to go a different direction. This reminds you of something that we covered in past studies. Two times in Acts 16, he says, I want to go to Asia. And God says, the Holy Spirit says, no, Asia is good. Those people matter, but not yet. I want you to go to Europe, Greece. Ah, okay, okay, and he keeps moving along, and then he sets his, his, his compass to go to Asia again. And again came the answer, no. That's okay if the Holy Spirit's telling you that, but we're told, and I don't think the Holy Spirit's behind the so-called murderous plot against him. But seven words tell us at the end of verse 3, we just read there, so he decided to go back through Macedonia. Paul shifts. The, the plot to kill him called for a quick shift. And he made it. There's not a lot of fanfare. There's not a lot to even gather our attention here. But he makes this shift to go back the way he came. That's what through Macedonia means. Remember I said Macedonia comes down through Achaia. He's been in Achaia down at Corinth for three months. He's about to go east on a vessel. No, can't do it. So he goes back through Macedonia. That's the plan. Uh, <clears throat> and can I tell you something? Throughout the book of Acts, and you'll see it more and more in the last eight chapters now, we're on the home stretch. I'm kind of sad, so I'm going to go slow. Because there's cool stuff here. But on this you will see him pivot again and again. You will see more of that. If you and I took the time, and I hope you've been with us either uh, live stream or here in the house, and you've said, man, there's, this is reminding me of something, and it goes clear back to the beginning when Jesus and uh, the Holy Spirit and Jesus in Acts 1.8 says, you wait in Jerusalem. When you receive power, you will be my witnesses, and you will go about to Jerusalem. That's nearby. It was said to them in Jerusalem. And Judea. That's a, a kind of a widening of the circle, if you will. And to Samaria, an even wider circle. And even to Tigard, Oregon. You're going to be my witnesses. That's where, that were the implications of that. And many, many times along the way, pivots were required. Um. It seems to me if you've had to cope with a sudden change of plans, you likely said something like, I don't get this. Another show of hands. I'm keeping you involved today. How many have stopped right in their tracks and said, I don't get this? It doesn't make sense. I don't get this. It's a question you're asking, right? And who are you asking? God. God, you're in charge of my life. You're calling the shots. I don't get this. I was going here, and it seemed like a good idea. You changed it up. I don't get this. If you and I wait for the answer, I think the answer is going to be something like, you know what? It's not yours to get. Just go with it. 
I hope you're writing that down at least in your heart. I didn't see a lot of hands moving. But that, to me, is the powerful truth here. It really is. I don't get this. I don't care what it is you're thinking of right now. The answer, if we believe that God is sovereign, if we believe that God's plans are in play, if we surrender to Proverbs 16, verse 9, I plan my ways, but you directed my steps. We believe that then at some point we've got to find our way to, okay, God, I don't get this. These guys are going to kill me on a boat. I don't get it. But I'll go with it. All right. Um, True confession. Yesterday was a first for me. For some reason, as a guy, I never thought I'd find myself at Hobby Lobby. I'm Debbie's hobby hubby, hobby hubby. She goes, no, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. And another true confession, I did. (laughs) It was cool. There's a man section. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I thought it was going to all be pink. And there's cool blue, right? So, So I'm in Hobby Lobby, right? And Debbie had told me on our way in, she goes, you're going to love it. And she says, there's music even that they play that's Christian music. And I thought, this is cool. You know, between Hobby Lobby now and Chick-fil-A, I got all I need in life. (laughs) Right? So here's the deal. We're in there, and sure enough, and I stopped you, and I said, Debbie, they're playing that song. It's, It's the song, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. You know that expression? And I thought, I'm preaching on that tomorrow. Where he leads me, I will follow. And missionaries add, what he feeds me, I will swallow. (laughs) Right? So, okay, so here's the deal. Um, Paul didn't go alone. Verses 4 to 6 reveal that several other people, and I'm going to pivot. I don't have time to go into detail. I'm just going to read it quickly and have you do something with it on your own. Look at verse 4. So Paul shifts gears. He heads north up the peninsula there. And he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea. That's one of the churches that he planted. Aristarchus and Segundus from Thessalonica, another church we're familiar with. Gaius from Derby, way back at the beginning in Galatia. That's the Galatian region. Timothy and Tictacus and Trophimus from the province of where? Asia. I couldn't go there when I wanted to. But look what's happened since then. That's back in chapter 16. Where are we? 24 chapters later, I got these guys traveling with me who came from the province of Asia that I couldn't go to until God said go. Very cool stuff here. And there's a whole bunch of hard names here. But these men went on ahead and waited for us, Paul, uh, Luke is saying here, at Troas. 
which is, by the way, when God finally said, don't go to Asia, go to Europe. He went to Troas and stayed there. Paul stayed there until a man in a vision said, come on over. We need you here. We need the word you have. We've got to have the gospel. No one's given it to us. And that's where that vision uh, came from. It's really cool connection moments in all of this. So these people, um, notice, we, 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 but we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Here's what I want you to do. The identities are here for a reason. I'm the guy, and this gets really hard in... Uh, Several places in the Pentateuch and then in Joshua chapter 1, you have to endure a couple of days of this tribe got that and they lived there and all this. And it's, it's, it's sometimes uh, I speed read those days in the Word, just a confession. Um, and I know you do too. So anyway, uh, but, but here's the deal. Um, they're there for a reason. All of these names are here for a reason. The question is, why were they traveling with him? I want you to find out the answer to that. Here's a hint. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. All right? 2 Corinthians chapter 8. You can read on in chapter 9. You're going to say, man, that's a whole lot of uh, counsel, advice about money. And part of the reason they joined him, because each one of them, that's why he says they're from all these churches, each one of them, joined him with a financial gift to take back where they were heading to Jerusalem. Why, you ask? Well, historically, we know that there was a series of very serious famines. And the hardest hit region was Judea, Jerusalem. And the people were starving. All of these churches were not in Jerusalem. They were they were outside, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost. So Paul would go through, reach people with the gospel, tell them about these people they've never met. There's a need over there like we did with Ukraine, and boom, it happens. So all these guys are bringing a financial gift from Berea and from all these places, Thessalonica, and they're heading home to Jerusalem to present this as survival to these mostly Jewish believers in Jerusalem. There's more. Um, why would he write all that to Corinthian people? Remember I said 2 Corinthians 8? That's a letter to them. You'll read it and you'll find out why. Because those people were tightwads. It's not in the Bible, but the Greek's there. Trust me. Um, they were guys that had money. And we're not responding generously. And all those other churches where all these guys are from, they were the ones that's, that came with lots of money of sacrificial gifts given to help people they've never met. That's a powerful picture. Again, we don't have time to go there and check it all out, but I want you to do so. Um, <clears throat> by the way, each one of those people I quickly read through and probably wrecked their names. Um, they remained partners with Paul throughout his ministry. So this doesn't, wasn't just a trip back to Jerusalem for Passover. These are guys that 
had their lives changed, and they became partners with Paul in ministry. Some as travel companions through the rest of his writings, the letters he wrote. There are 13 letters in total. These Many of them were traveling companions. When he got arrested, which is coming up real soon, and taken to Rome, several of them at different times were fellow prisoners with him from the same list of guys. It's really cool stuff. And, and, and some were sent by Paul because he was under arrest as emissaries. Take this message. Go get that. Tell that person. How you do that? With a cell phone? Not in that day. See what I mean? They all have this role, and all of them are mentioned in various letters Paul wrote to the end. Um, I've included, as I do each week, supplemental scriptures for deeper reading and research. They're all there. You'll see their names in various other letters, and I hope you'll track it down because my premise, my bias and belief is that it's not here to fill room on a page. It's important. And you see, well, Lord, maybe you're calling me to be a, 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 a traveling companion with some, I don't know. Maybe, you know, you're calling me to raise up the, the wealthy and tigered. And, um, and, and uh, we felt that in Ukraine, and look what it did. We got, to, we got to be part of something that was, we'll never meet those people in this life. But we had a difference. We had a, we had a part in making a difference in their lives. Um, so take after, let's come back to the text and, and wrap it up with a really important story. After taking this detour, and I say that in quotes, by land, from Corinth to Philippi, Paul and his team, his companions, celebrate Passover there. Not Jerusalem. There. And you knew, I've established, where they wanted to be. They even had the days of unleavened bread there. And then they sailed for, verse 6 tells us, Troas. And we're told that they were in Troas for, look at that, how verse 6 ends, seven days, one week. And Luke, who's now back with him, that's why from here to the end of Acts, it's now we. You will read that pronoun. It is no longer he, somebody telling the story about Paul, which Luke did. But now we, Luke's with them, and he travels to the end. So verse 7 introduces um, a single day of that week, those six days, that stands out, and you'll see why for obvious reasons. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people. By the way, they're in Troas. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window sill was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. There's some nervous chuckles in this room right now. (laughs) When he was sound asleep, Eutychus... He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. 
Paul went down quickly, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, Paul said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and continued. (laughs) Broke bread and ate and continued talking until daylight. And he left. The people then took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. (laughs) This is such a cool story. It's a day that would not soon be forgotten. It really wouldn't and for obvious reasons. Happened on a Sunday, first day of the week, not Shabbat, which would have been Friday night to Saturday night. This is Sunday, believed to be the first of the shift in the Christian approach to a Sunday gathering, first day of the week. I'm not going there. It's just worth noting. Okay, so here it is, first day, and we're told that they're in, in Troas breaking bread. This was likely the love feast that Jude talks about in his letter, chapter, well, it's only one chapter, verse 12. Jude talks about a love feast, and we know it as communion. We know communion <coughs> to be the bread and the cup. Here, it's likely both. And the normal practice of believers in that day was to share a meal in the context of communion, <clears throat> followed by other things we do still, worship songs, reading the Bible, and long sermons. Uh, that last part, Bible teaching, was... Uh, as I look at these things, I, I'm going to use the label, an extended event, <laughs> okay? Um, and I think the reason is obvious. He's leaving the next day. I got one shot is what he's thinking. And I'll give up sleep, which he did. Not everybody could. Ask Eutychus. You get, you get the idea here. And... and um, I think, I think it's fair to say Paul went a little long, <laughs> and, um, and we get a couple of hints. He kept on talking, verse 7 says, till midnight. And then verse 9 gets a little deeper. He talked on and on. Who does that? Go ahead, just get it out of your system. Just, just get it out. It's okay. And it's, um, I actually get lots of feedback from you, and almost never, why does he talk so long? So I'm humbled by that. So thank you. And if I do ever bore you, I have committed the greatest sin Swindoll warned me about. Don't bore people. So I'm trying my hardest and keeping my clothes on to not bore you. But um, anyway, gosh, where did that come from? Um, so let's go back to this room, okay? where Eutychus is. Um, It was upstairs, third floor. And we're told that there's many lamps. They're candles. They're flickering. One other translation says they're, they're, they're flickering and like candles, they give off heat. Third floor, packed house, Eutychus in a windowsill, not exactly the brightest move. But let's not, let's not be hard on him. He's a teenager. Most believe eight to 12 years old. And apparently his parents aren't there. 
Um, maybe they are. I'm not, my, I might be overreading verse 12. But they took him home, and his family was greatly comforted. I don't know. Maybe the family took him home. The point is, he's sitting there, and he's getting drowsy. And finally, he falls asleep and at the same time falls out of a three-floor window. Um, and I had all kinds of plans to make fun of that moment because I know how it turns out, and so do you. We just read it. But bad things happen if you fall asleep in a sermon. That's, that was going to be my um, – well, I won't I – won't, I won't camp there very long. I want you to notice that in verse 9, he's not just sleeping on the ground now. Who wrote this? Luke. What was he? A doctor. The physician declared him dead. It's a big deal. He's really dead. And Paul's actions, they were quick, unrehearsed. He ran downstairs, and he, we're told, fell on this child. He went down, threw himself on Eutychus, put his arms around him. Uh, if you know your Bible, you are immediately transported back to two very famous standout prophets, Elijah and his successor, Elisha, who both took part in bringing the Holy Spirit, used them to bring life into two dead sons. You cannot miss the connection here. Why was that being done? I believe it was to say, this guy we just heard preach, and we just saw this dead child, the darkest moment of anybody's life, uh, especially onlookers, they, they saw with their own eyes, he, he's alive, he really is, this wasn't just Paul talking. We saw all that happen, and they're triggered way back to 1 Kings and the beginning of 2 Kings to those two events, putting Paul on par with Elijah and Elisha. Do you hear the bell ringing now? It's a credibility thing that's off the charts. It's also a credibility thing to people that would tell this story that think only the mothership in Jerusalem's got their act together. No, no, no. Here's the Saul turned Paul. He's type A apostle, and he's, he's being used by the powerful Holy Spirit to change lives, including raise the dead. This is real stuff. I, I cannot imagine that night. I cannot imagine how they ate or how they, he, he talked on some more. I, I, maybe that's all they talked about. I don't know. That's all I would have talked about. I, I can't believe that just happened. Uh, as the meet, at the meeting that followed, by the way, it was now dawn, um, and it was finishing up. The boy is taken home, and that had to be a story that, I mean, Show and tell came to mind when I was thinking about it. You know, what, what story do you have to tell? This was one that would never be topped. I was dead. And Jesus touched me. So we're done with this today. Two words, he left. The story's over. Next, not next week because it's Easter. We get a glorious day of celebration. But the following week, we're going to come back. We're going to go to one of my very favorite 
section in Acts, the Acts of the Apostles or the Holy Spirit. And that's where Paul says goodbye to the Ephesian elders. We're going to see beautiful things there. And so don't miss two weeks from today, just like you won't miss next Sunday. But now a parting thought, a quick one. I began this message with a statement I don't believe. Maybe some of you have detected that along the way. I don't believe that the Bible teaches plan B. I don't. That's saying a lot. Because plan B is like filled with your kidding in most cases. Um, I said that there is a popular proverb and quoted it. The mind of man does plan his ways. The mind of woman does the same. But the Lord directs their steps. Uh, truth is, it may look like plan B. I'm just speaking from my own personal assessment of this. It, it often does look that way. But from God's perspective, uh, what may seem like an adjustment or even an abandonment of a plan to us, it is completely aligned with his purpose. And that's a very, very bold statement to make. And I think it has nothing, no less impact than do you believe in the sovereignty of God. Please understand, I, I'm, I'm not, there's all kinds of exceptions that you could come at me with right now. But if God is not sovereign, we got another big problem on our hands. So if you, if you believe that, then you believe as the book of Acts emphatically teaches us in every single page that God's perfect plan stands. can see why today is a great day for you to meet with some people and talk further about these truths. It's not a preacher talking. This is just me summarizing a bunch of scripture that I've been studying. Um, I want to leave you with James' words. He was the half-brother of Jesus. It's in the book that bears his name, chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. Um, I think it's the intended takeaway of this talk today. In view of Paul's pivot, think of your own pivot and take in this truth. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we will stay there for a year. And we will do business there and we, we will make a profit there. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow. Your life is like a morning fog. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants me to do that, if he wants me to live and do this or do that, I will do that.
But if not, all other boasting about your own pretentious plans is evil. I love to plan. I'm learning to be okay when God says, it's not my plan. Let's do this other direction. And I think I'm getting better at that. Would you bow with me this morning? I, uh, I'm well aware, Holy Spirit, as you've prompted in my heart, and this whole morning is the belief that no bigger example exists than Palm Sunday, than Passion with Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Palm Sunday looked like they it was anybody with any with a couple of verses of understanding would say, He's here. The king has come. Zechariah's prophecy is true. The kingdom begins now. But you showed us a different plan. And I pray that you and and your powerful work in my life and in people's lives right here in this room and in the live stream would get to a place of saying, not my will, but thine be done. In big and little ways. Because truly your greatest plan, because you're a sovereign God, will unfold. And I don't want to fight against it. I want to work with you to see it carried out and fulfilled. You're hearing these words today and you do not belong to Jesus Christ. His desire is that none should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. God is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you right now, not wishing for you to perish, but for you to come to repentance. Would you do that? That offer will not remain forever. He will return. Turn to him now. Call me about it. Text me about it. Email me, steve at gracepointfamily.com. Let's talk about it. Lord, we love you and thank you that at your name, powerful things happen. They did then and they will do now. And we sing in the spirit of that truth. In Jesus' name.